Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Title of my message today is Don't Go There. Don't go. Some of you have used this warning with people before. Don't go there. Uh, my wife and I have, have three kids, and uh, a couple weeks ago, she took them all to a birthday party, uh, which felt like a gift to them and to me, um, uh, to be honest with you guys. And so I was home just kind of hanging out, and they went to the birthday party. When they got back, uh, Zeke had this story to tell me that he thought was so weird. He's our youngest, and he was saying that, uh, you know, he was, he was going to play with uh, this one kid, and as different people were arriving, there was another kid that was going to come over and try and play with them, and the kid that he was playing with pulled him aside real quick and was like, listen, that kid's going to want to come over here. He's going to want to play with us, and so here's what I need you to do. I need you to tell him that we're not going to be able to play with him because we're going to have to go inside, and we're going to have to get some snacks, and Zeke perked up because he's my son, so he's like, snacks? What kind of snacks? We're going to get some snacks? coming up and the kid was like no there's no snacks we're just just tell him that and Zeke it, it gets mad because he's just like dude we don't joke about snacks like I got really excited about the snacks and he's like forget about the snacks okay this is about that kid I don't like listen okay if you don't want to do that just tell him that we're we can't play with him because we're gonna play this video game and it's only a two-player game and so he can't play with us and Zeke's like what game and he told him and he was like that's a four-player game we could have up to four people we could totally include him. And he's like, you're not getting it. And Zeke's like, I'm not getting it. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want to play. We just, whatever. And Zeke, just because he is, he's having a hard time with this. And he's just like, he goes, it feels like your plan has so many steps, which is very Zeke. And he's like, what about this instead? What if when he comes over here, you just tell him, sometimes you're kind of mean to people. And I don't want to play with you today if you're going to be a jerk. And so if you're nice, we'll play with you. And if not, go somewhere else. And the kid was like, <laughs> I can't say that. That's crazy. And Zeke's like, why, why is that crazy? Like, that's, it's so easy. Just say that, right? And I, I love how obvious the solution seems to him and how insane the solution seemed to the other kid, right? And maybe even as you're listening to this, you're just like, yeah. I don't know if you can say that, like, kids are so cute. But here's the reality. We still do this, don't we? Like, as adults, where we have these moments where there's like, oh, we know somebody is coming over, or they're in a text group, and there's tension between us and them, and there's something that we do want to do, or we don't want to do, and we don't want to say it, and it's uncomfortable, and we create a whole cover story. How many of you have done this, okay? Wow, a lot of liars in here. Um, man, do we need to do the I said yes corner early today? Ronnie, you want to come? Right? We, we all do this thing, right? Like, a lot of times we don't even think about it. And if I think someone were to suggest to us, well, just tell them this blatant, plain truth about how you see the situation. And like, I mean, don't be mean about it, but just be, just calmly tell them what's going on. We'd have the same reaction as this other kid of like, <laughs> you can't do that. That's crazy. I like the snack lie idea, okay? Can't we just go with that? And why do we do this? Because we all do this. 
Why, when we have these moments of uncomfortability with someone else, why do we avoid telling people how we really feel or how their actions are affecting or impacting us? Like, why is it that we all have this, this, this weird thing where we feel like we can't be clear with people about what it is we want and need? And some of you are like, mm, that's a dumb question because the answer is obvious, right? And we all have some sort of an answer to this, whether we want to be honest with ourselves about it or not. But like, you know, for some of us, it's like, I I don't want them to think that I'm mean or rude or selfish. And if I say this, that's what they're going to think. And I don't want that. I don't want that kind of reputation. Also, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt their feelings, okay? I don't, I don't want to be the jerk who says the thing that everyone else is thinking because then they're going to be, hate me, and I don't, I don't want to hurt them in that way. Or maybe we're nervous that it's going to be weird afterwards. Like, once I say it, it can't be unsaid, and then it's like every time I see them, it's going to be like, oh, hey, uh, and it's, we're going to be awkward, and it's just like I don't want that hanging over my head in our relationship. Also, I don't know how to say it. It's like, how do you, there's probably a best way to word it, and I just am not good with that, and so I don't know. And even if I did it, like, my best, what if they still don't get it? And then it's just like, the conversation lasts forever, and it's just getting worse and worse, and I'm digging the hole deeper, and I don't want to be seen as needy, right? I mean, like, that just feels like the worst. I mean, if I say, like, hey, they're going to be like, why do you need that? And then I'm going to feel weird. And, you know, if it was someone else, I'd probably say something, but it's just like, That's not the way our relationship works. And if you knew them, you would understand that. And so I just feel because of all that stuff, saying something isn't going to do anything anyway. And so I'm just, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and secretly hate them. And this is the strategy I think a lot of us sort of stick with, maybe not intentionally, but, but organically we do. And I think it's to the extent where some of us have actually managed to convince ourselves that pretending we don't have needs is Christian. Like, that's, that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to let people walk all over us on a consistent basis. That's what makes him happy. I mean, if you're not miserable most of the time, are you even doing it right? You know what I mean? Like, that's what the Lord wants, you know? And everybody knows, like, the more you suffer, the holier you are, Uh, which is why I'm feeling pretty spiritual, I hate my life. (laughs) And I just wonder, like, is this, is that true? Right? Because... There's definitely this thought floating around. You know, to bring it in our context, there are these surveys that have happened consistently over the course of ever since, you know, um, social psychology has become a thing where they'll ask people like, which are the most, what are the most difficult people for you personally to share your real wants and, and needs with, to just really be honest? And the, the number one answer is almost always the same. People, the people that most people find it difficult to share their real wants, needs, and desires with are their family. And for some of you, that feels like a surprise. Others of you are like, I did that survey. I took it twice. It was family both times. Okay, like that is not a shock to me. I get it, right? Because you've had these thoughts, right? Where you've just thought like, (laughs) listen, no, I'd love, but okay, I could never say that to my mom, okay? It's just, it is not gonna go over well, okay? My dad is not the kind of person you say no to, okay? I mean, if you met him, you would get it, but it's just like, also, they don't care what I think. 
They never have. I mean, like, I could say it, and then they'll just be like, okay, whatever. Like, because it doesn't matter. Like, it's never been interesting to them. Also, in my family, it's just like, if the rest of the family is going and they're doing it, you can't just not do it. Okay, like if they're just like, hey, we're all going here. You can't just be like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I don't feel comfortable. I'm gonna opt out. You can't do that. Like you're not, you can't do that in our family. It's not acceptable. Like, I don't know what would happen. I think you would spontaneously combust. No one's had the courage to try it. And there are certain things that, you know, we all know. And I mean, I think we know, but we just, we don't talk about them in our family. I mean, sometimes when something gets weird, we kind of give each other the side eye and then we're like, we, and then we pretend like we didn't see what we saw, but we, we never reference it because, you know, sharing your feelings with certain family members is, you know, it's, it's inappropriate and it's disrespectful. And so you just, you know, it's better to just keep your mouth shut and keep your feelings inside because it's family. This is how a lot of us live. And I think for a lot of us, the reason we live this way is because when it comes to conflict, a lot of us only really see two unwanted options, right? So we have option A, which is like, okay, there's this tension. I can stay silent, all right? And then everyone will walk all over you, okay? Or, because you have choices, right? Or you speak up and everyone will abandon you. And isn't this like a lot of us, the, 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 the choice we feel like we're facing, if I say what I really think and feel, like everyone's gonna walk out. Everyone, I'm gonna be ostracized. They're not gonna have anything to do with me. They're gonna talk bad about me. And if I just shut up and tuck it all inside, I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna like lose my mind and they're gonna walk all over me. And I just, what else are you gonna do? And if this is your paradigm, you feel trapped. Living like this is what it feels like to feel taken advantage of. And what happens is the anger and the resentment begin to build inside of you and the distance between you and that person or those people begins to grow. And the trouble with it is it, it, it's only sustainable for so long, right? Because eventually your true feelings come out. You can only really hide who you really are for so long because eventually all that angst which manifests as some form of energy in your gut, it has to go somewhere. And my experience in, in, in pastoring and just being a person and observing other people, right, is that the longer you suppress it and push it under, the more likely the chances that when it finally does come to the surface, it's gonna do so in a way that's destructive or explosive or unpredictable. And that's what we're afraid of. You ever seen someone just blow up? Maybe it was you, maybe it was someone in your family, maybe they're sitting next to you right now, don't nudge them or point to them. Why were it was like, you thought everything was fine and then one day they're just like, I'm done! And you're just like, I didn't know though there's a problem. Right? And it's, it's shocking and, and scary and they seem scared, right? And they're the ones doing it because it just all this stuff just could not, there was not one more thing they could stuff in the closet of their heart. And I bring all this up because I just feel like there's got to be another way. And I wonder, like, what if there were more and better options than just these two horrible ones? 
And in fact, I think there is. And the, the, the term we're talking about is, is one that you know. It's a term called setting boundaries, okay? And this is a term that's been so popularized that it gets thrown around. And I feel like it's a term that everybody knows, but nobody knows what it actually is, right? Uh, people are like, I've shared a meme about it, but I don't actually know how to define it or do it, right? We, we love like sort of like passing it around on social media. But when I actually pin people down, I'm like, okay, what does it mean? Like, how do you do that? What is it, what is it about? And people are like, uh, I don't know, right? And so I want to give us all a working definition to pull from for the rest of the day. This is what a, a boundary is. Boundaries are essentially cues to others about how to interact with you. They're instructions about the details of your wants, needs, limitations, and expectations, And what I think is really interesting is when you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples and and these people that the New Testament is written to and about, what you see is something contrary to the way a lot of us grew up. That in fact, like suppressing all of this stuff and being miserable in your life is not what God intends for you. That you see Jesus and his disciples setting clear boundaries in their core relationships and you see it working for them and the people around them. And so the question that I wonder is, How did they do it? It's great that they did it. How did they do it? How does this work? And that's what I want to dissect today and hopefully give you some practical tools to walk away and put some of this into practice in your own life. And we're going to look at this story that's found in the book of Acts. And it's a story about um, sort of this relational dynamic between a handful of the first Christ followers, uh, this guy by the name of Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. And... uh, I think there's a lot we can pull from here. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says this. Paul is one of the first Christians and missionaries. Paul and his companions left Patmos by ship, landing at Pamphylia, which of course is responsible for inventing the pamphlet. We all know that. And there, John Mark left, right? So this feels really innocuous, right? This is the sort of setup to the story. So you have this guy who's like a Christian missionary, and he sets out with some other people, and they're going to travel around, and they're going to like spread the gospel as, as makeshift missionaries. And they have multiple stops on their trip, and they, they hit a couple of them, and they get to this one. And there's still a few more places they intended to go, but one of the guys is like, I think that's, I'm good. You know, like, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go the rest of the way. I think I'm going to go ahead and peel off and do this other thing and go back to Jerusalem. And so that's what he does. And it just seems like, okay, that's fine. That's just like those are basic details pretty innocuous, unemotional, undramatic story. And then we skip ahead two chapters. Acts chapter 15, it says this. This was sometime later, and we know this because it says after some time. Guys, I'm real good at just picking up clues from the Bible. uh, I'll teach you sometime. But after some time, verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached to see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Now, there's a lot of things that are interesting here, but you have sort of two setups or perceptions of the same situation. And here's what I wonder. Did you catch the difference in language between like chapter 13 and chapter 15? In chapter 13, you have sort of like a generic narrator sort of setting up the thing being like, all these people, they went on this thing. One guy left. Literally just says like John Mark left, right? 
Then when you get to 15, you have like Paul's inner monologue, which plays a little bit differently, right? He's just like, so what was actually happened is we were on this trip and then John Mark deserted us. He abandoned us. He betrayed us. And when I say us, I mean me. And I wonder if this has ever happened to you before, where like maybe you're on the outside of a situation and you look at it and it seems like, oh, it's just, yeah, this is just sort of what happened and no big deal. But then the people inside it are freaking out and you're like, what are they seeing that I don't see? Or maybe that's happened to you, right? Where other people are looking from the outside and they're like, I don't really get what the big deal is. And you're like, oh, there's a lot of big deal going on. They deserted us. I thought he just left. No, that's not, that, nope, nope, that's not what happened. We kind of go from like the simple facts to how those facts made a particular person feel. And it begins to shift the story in a very personal way. And the big question that comes up for me in these two differing accounts is, it's clear that Paul feels and sees the situation differently, the relational dynamics differently. The question is, is he going to voice this? He senses it, he disagrees with it, but like, is he gonna say something about it? Or is he going to just let it sit below the surface? Is he gonna continue to sort of stuff it down? What's, what's gonna happen? And if he does feel it, does he feel it strongly enough where he needs to like draw a line in the sand and take a stand about like, listen, this is not gonna work for me and, and here's what I wanna do moving forward. And is it even okay to do that? I mean, can a Christian just like not wanna be around another Christian? Can one Christian just be like, I don't like that Christian. And just like, I don't wanna be near them or around them. Like, we don't get along, we don't matter. Like, is that even okay? Because I thought we were just supposed to like love everybody no matter what. Didn't Jesus say that? Here's, here's what Jesus actually said. This is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus says this, and you've heard this before, right? This is Jesus, and he's actually echoing something that was said in the Old Testament, and he's drawing it to the surface in a particular way. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this means a whole lot of things, but, but in, in this context, and the reason why I bring it up here is the, the way that this text is arranged is very specific. When Jesus says things, there's always a depth of layering of his messaging. He, he doesn't waste words. And part of the arrangement of this is indicating something that is important for us to understand in this context. Part of what Jesus is saying is, here is that you can only love your neighbor to the extent you love yourself. That in fact, you can't extend to others what you are unwilling or unable to extend to yourself that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, but here's the reality. You probably already do. Maybe it's not that loving because you can really only be as loving out here as you are in here. And some of us, we haven't done the inner work in here to actually make it work all that well out here. What do we even mean by this? Like, what, is it, what does it even mean to like, love someone effectively? In case you haven't been to a wedding in a while, let me just repeat 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Okay. The love chat. You're familiar with this, okay? But I want you to think about it in a different sort of way. This is Paul giving his definition of love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So here's the question I have for you. Is this an accurate description of how you treat yourself? 
I mean, take it outside of like a marriage or a romance context. Like, would you, if you're honest with yourself, are you patient and kind to yourself? Is that what it looks like in here? Are you compassionate and forgiving towards yourself? And I would say, if you aren't or you feel like you are unable to, it's a boundary issue. And some of us aren't to a point where we're self-aware enough to honestly understand that there is a connection between these two things. And so how do you even know that? How do you create some awareness inside of yourself that you even need to set a boundary in a particular area or during a particular season of your life? I think there are some telltale uh, indicators and I want to just give this, you could use this as a self-test to just try and figure out like how to know if maybe I need more boundaries in my life. Here's be some indicators, okay? Four of them. The first one is this. Uh, you don't have time and energy to take care of your body or do things that you enjoy. That would be an indicator that you need to draw a boundary. Number two would be this. You are regularly overwhelmed by everything that you have to get done, or at least everything you think you have to get done. Because really, do you have to do all that stuff? Or maybe do you just think you have to do all that stuff? Either way, it doesn't matter. You're overwhelmed, right? Number three, you resent how much others expect from you. How dare they, right? And number four, you avoid certain people or situations to keep from having to address them. And maybe you're looking at this list and some of you are like, okay, what if you like get four out of four? Like what do you do? That, like not like if you know some, like for a friend, like asking for a friend, like if you know someone that's just like, oh wow, they do all that stuff. Like again, not me, but someone else. Like what would you do then, right? And, and here's what I would say to you. The good news is this does not have to be your life. You don't have to live this way every single day. This does not have to be like a summary of your existence moving forward. And maybe when you look at this list, maybe there's no sort of awareness as to why you feel this way or around what things you feel this way, or around what people or situations you feel this way. Maybe for you, you are very aware of what you need to change. So why haven't you done it? I would say because you're aware of something else as well. You're aware that once you become honest about those things and you voice them, it's risky. And what's the risk? The risk is that once you say, like, here's something that I need to change in my life, and here's how it is going to affect or impact you, that the other person or people's reaction may not be what you want it to be. And that feels scary. Isn't that why we don't want to bring it up? Because we're like, mm, what if it doesn't go well? What if they don't take it right? And I would tell you there's a reason that you have that fear because there's a big chance they are not gonna take it right, you guys. In fact, like research would tell us there's, there's about seven common ways that people respond to a boundary being set by somebody else in their life. And only one of these things is actually 100% like positive without any consequences. And it's this one, it's acceptance, right? This is what we want, where we, we tell them the boundary that we want to have set and then they understand, they agree with, and they abide by your request, right? Isn't this like your fantasy where you're just like, listen, I don't, like, this is what's going on. This is what I want, need, or expect from you. And 
this is what I need to see happen. And they're like, thank you so much for sharing that. I understand everything you just said, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And right now, starting in this second, I am going to do every single thing to the detail of how you just outlined it for me. And some of us are like, who are these robots and where do you buy one, right? Like, this is not, this is real people we're talking about. We want this. We fantasize about it, right? We think like if they really loved this or cared about us, this is what they would do, right? But at the same time, we're like, ah, they're probably not going to do that. What's more likely is one of the other six things. What are those other six things? You know, but I'll tell them to you anyway, right? They can respond by ignoring right? Which is where they act like they never heard anything, that you never said anything, and they continue to do whatever they want, right? Some of you are like, I- I'm familiar with that. I have a teenager. I know, I feel like I've seen that in action. They just kind of blow past. It was like, you're like, I swore we had the conversation, but they're not acting like it, right? Then there's limit testing, right? Which is where they attempt to do what they want, but in a way where you might not notice right away, right? To where they're just like, yeah, totally, I'm gonna do that. But then they're kind of like sneaking around behind the scenes and doing what they wanna do, but just in a way where maybe you won't notice. And then by the time you do notice, it's too late. You can't really do anything. You'd be like, well, whatever. Another way they could respond to a boundary you set is by rationalizing, where they demand an explanation and act as if your reasons are ridiculous. Where they're like, what do you, what do you want? That's crazy. I don't need that. I don't want that. Why would you need that if I don't need that? Like, my friend's husband, they don't, they don't want that. They don't, what, 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 that's crazy. Why are you so weird? That's, I'm not doing that, right? Then there's, there's defensiveness, which is where they present a case for why it's okay for them to keep doing whatever they're doing, right? Where they're just like, listen, I feel like you're attacking me. I'm not a bad person. I'm not crazy. And I should be able to do whatever I want to. Why are you trying to control me, okay? And they push back. Or there's ghosting, which is where they just stop talking to you or responding to you altogether. Or there's the silent treatment where they don't avoid you or interactions with you, but they just won't talk to you anymore, right? So you may even share a house or an office or a bed, but it's just like nobody's talking about the thing that happened and the issue and nobody's confronting it. And it's just like there's this weird energy in the air and it's never being referenced. And it's all this pushback that we don't want to have to deal with. Like, in fact, you're probably looking at this list and thinking like, yeah, those last six, that is why I do not bring stuff up, okay? Because that sounds miserable. I don't want to have to go through all that. I don't want them to react or respond like that. And I would agree with you. It does sound miserable. There's a high chance that they may respond in one of those ways. And that sounds like it would be uncomfortable. And I agree with you. It probably would be a miserable experience. But here's also what I would say. I think you're already miserable. Because if you've reached the place where you're like, I need to set a boundary in this area of my life, it's because you are already suffering a certain amount of misery that you feel like you need to take action to address. But it's worse than that. Because in your current state, not only are you miserable, but you're miserable and pretending to be something you're not. And that's way worse. Because there's no real win. Because even if they're accepting of you right now, they're accepting of a false you. And you're suppressing a lot of who you are and what you want and need in order to get the acceptance that you so desire. And in the story that we're reading, Paul knows that like, man, this is not going to work for me. If I, if I go along with this suggestion, I know he said it like, and he doesn't know 
the depth of how I feel about it. But if I, he, if I don't say something, he's never going to know. I'm going to have to speak up. And I, what if he doesn't take it well? And what if it goes sideways? But I, I, I need to do it. And so Paul does. He speaks up and he says something about it. And I know you're thinking like, this is the Bible. So it's like, oh, happily ever after. And I would just say like, no, this is the Bible. And it's about people. And people are crazy. And so it does not go great, you guys. This is what happens. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. It says their disagreement about this issue was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And I can, I can, like, I can picture this argument of, of Paul just being like, listen, I, don't, I get what you're saying, but here's the thing. I don't trust this guy. Okay, like I took him the last time and I trusted him and he bailed on us. And I feel like if he did it once, he's gonna do it again. And it really bothered me and it really hurt me and I don't want him there. And Barnabas is just like, I hear what you're saying. But here's the thing, like, doesn't everybody deserve a second chance? I mean, isn't that our whole movement? Isn't that the whole premise of the thing that we're traveling around preaching, trying to onboard people to, is that everybody deserves a second chance, that God wants to give them a second chance. I feel like this guy just needs somebody to believe in him. And what if we're the people that believe in him and change everything for him? Also, that was like one thing. That was one time. That was a long time ago. He's way different. It's not going to be like you think it's going to be. And maybe now you're confused because you're like, I don't know, when you were talking about the Paul part, I was like, yeah, I agree with you. But then when you did the Barnabas part, I was like, well, I kind of agree with that one too. And I think when we hear uh, a disagreement like this or we participate in a disagreement like this, our brain instantly jumps to like, okay, what is going on here? Like who's right and who's wrong? Because we want it to be simple, right? We want it to just sort of sort it out so that we can know like, 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 who's the good guy and, and who's the bad guy? Who's doing the right thing? Who's doing the wrong thing? But it's usually not as easy as that. And this is what makes relational conflict so complicated because in this story, they're both kind of right. Because this exchange isn't about good and bad. It's about wants and needs. And those things are very nuanced. So what do we do with that? I think about it this way. Like our desire to sort of simplify things down makes me think of this. Do you remember the, the periodic table from like science class? Some of you, this image just like strikes fear in your heart, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, that was such a bad season. Hand out the worksheets, ushers, right? So here's what I want to ask you. Like, and, and you probably remember enough to be able to answer this question, Okay. When you look at this table of elements, which of these elements are good and which ones are bad? It's an unanswerable question. It's a trick question because they can't be simplified in that way. They're neutral. Like, let's take one specifically. Like, let's say the one at the top, hydrogen, right? So let's say we take that. Is hydrogen good or bad? Is it positive or negative? Is it, is it good or evil? I mean, maybe you're thinking like, I don't know. It kind of depends, right? Because you could take hydrogen, you could combine it in the right way, right? H2O, what does it make? Water. 
And water is this substance that gives life to everything on our planet. It's incredibly life-giving. But here's the thing. That's not the only thing that you can combine hydrogen with, right? You can combine hydrogen with a couple other elements in a different sort of equation, and you can get an H-bomb, right? And that H-bomb has the ability to destroy life on the entire planet, right? And so is hydrogen good or bad? It's It's neutral. And I bring this up because I, I think that people are a lot like elements. And they're a lot like elements in the way that how you combine them determines what they create. How you connect people to other people, which people you connect and how you connect them determines what they create between them. And sometimes we don't consider this because it feels too complicated. And yet setting boundaries really begins with assessing what happens when we come together and why. It's asking, like, how do we create something that is life-giving and as opposed to something that is destructive or damaging in our relationship? Boundaries essentially exist to show other people how to best relate to you. And maybe you're just like, that is great. I I have no idea where to start. This is not really something that I've done. So I don't even know what would like a sample look like. And so I wanna just give you, like here are some potential boundaries that you might have, okay? And I'm just gonna put up a list. I'm not gonna take the time to read through all these. So you may wanna take a picture of it uh, with your phone or nudge someone, they'll take a picture of it for you or you could download it from our slides. But these are some potential boundaries that you may set in your life. You don't have to. These aren't like, this isn't like the holy grail of boundaries. These are just good examples. This is my way of giving you permission you could say this, and this is an okay, healthy thing to declare about your own life. So let's just take one of them off the list, right? Let's take this one in the middle that's like, I don't give much mental energy to things I can't control or don't involve me, right? And some of you are like, some people I knew put that into practice, they have nothing to post about, you know what I mean? Um, And you're right. And your life would be so much better, wouldn't it? But let's say that you set this boundary in your life and someone's constantly trying to drag you into something that has nothing to do with you and that you can't control at all. And you are just like, no, 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 that's not okay. Remember, like, I don't do that. I don't want to go there with you. And what happens when you're in a relationship with someone who's ignoring that boundary consistently? What then? Some of you are like, yeah, good point. What then? I don't know. Let's close in prayer. God, I... That'd be the worst way to end this. You're like, oh, good luck, guys. <laughs> I got you this far, <laughs> man. But the reality of it is, you are intuitive enough to know it's not just enough to set a boundary, right? You're gonna have to enforce it. And that's the uncomfortable part. And I would tell you that if, if crossing a boundary isn't coupled with a consequence, it isn't a boundary, it's a wish. And wishes don't really work that well in relationships, We have to voice the thing, the expectation, the need. We have to attach like what is gonna happen if it's not met. And then we have to actually follow up with it. This is why relationships are so difficult to keep on track because it involves investment. How would you even do this? I'm gonna give you like a formula for presenting a boundary to someone just so you can have sort of a template to fill in if you've never done this before and you're just sort of tiptoeing out into this territory. Here would be a formula. It would begin with, I want, 
I want or I need or I expect blank, and you would fill in the blank. And if you can't or just don't want to do that, and it could be either thing. Sometimes it's that somebody doesn't want to do I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Sometimes it's just like, I want to. I, I cannot do that. I don't have the ability or the capacity to do that. If that's the case, then blank will be the result. Your choice. Because you're not trying to control them. You're giving them options, letting them know what your boundaries are, and then letting them know the consequences if they cross those boundaries. Notice what is missing from this formula, though. There's no section that's like, because blank. Why? Now, you could tell them why, but you don't owe them that explanation. And the reason why I don't include it here is because sometimes, especially in a very contentious relationship, if it's just things have not been going well between the two of you, and they're using all six things to sort of push back against you, but this is really a big deal to you, giving a because and over-explaining your why invites a conversation, a discussion, and negotiation that you may not be interested in having. It sort of signals to them like, so this is my reason. And then they're like, oh, are you inviting me to tear down your reason? Because I think that's stupid, because I will. And if you don't give the because, then it's just like, this is sort of, this is what I need and who I am, and this is how it's going to be, and these are the ways you can respond, and, and this is what's going to happen depending on how you respond. That's it. Any questions? Oh, you do have one? I'm not answering questions. Sorry, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> this is what we're doing, okay? I should also mention that a reasonable consequence um, is clearly related to and proportionate to the violation. And this is something that often we get wrong when we're just sort of practicing or experimenting with doing something that maybe we're not used to doing in relationships. And um, like, let me give you an example from this story. So you have Paul who's just like, listen, loyalty and follow through are a big deal to me. And some people, it's like not as big a deal. But to me, these are cornerstones of what I'm looking for in relationships. And this guy bailed on me. And that, that hurt me. And I, I, like it triggered something in me. And I just, I don't want to deal with that moving forward. So since you bailed on me during our last trip, the consequence is going to be, I'm not taking you on the next trip. That is a consequence that is both related to and proportionate to the violation. That doesn't mean the person's going to like it. It just means it makes sense. And it's teaching the other person how to relate to you in a healthy way. You know what an outsized or unreasonable consequence might be in this situation? For the response to be of, if, like imagine if Paul was just like, because you bailed on me during our last trip, I will never speak to you again. I will tell everyone I know that you are a horrible, disgusting person, and I will do everything within my power to try and make your life a living hell. So help me, God. And yet, how many of us, we know people that this is like, this is their version of consequences, right? You're like, I gotta be honest, I didn't even know there was a boundary until you disowned me. I didn't even know this is the thing we were doing. The expectation was never clear. And then it was just like, you just detonated the world, right? That doesn't really help people, right? It doesn't help people understand like, oh, you do this and then this happens. You re react this way, you can expect this in return, right? It's just like, I mean, you do this and nothing may happen or you may die. 
I mean, it's all a gamble, right? Doesn't feel like a safe relationship. Not helpful. And Paul had to follow through and enforce this boundary that he set. And that, that meant in this story that John Mark was not gonna go on this trip. And that, that is what he wanted. But something else happened that he didn't want. It also meant that Barnabas wasn't gonna go on the trip either. And that was an unintended consequence. It was unfortunate. It was collateral damage because he couldn't control the entire situation. And it's a bummer and it's unfortunate. And I can picture this conversation, right, where you have the, the one guy being like, listen, if he doesn't go, I'm not going. And then if the guy's like, if he goes, I'm not going. And they try and work it out and they try and negotiate it, but they're just like, this is not gonna work. And so they go their separate ways. And it's a heartbreaking moment between two people who genuinely love Jesus and wanna do what's right but they can't find a way forward together. What I love about this story, though, is that neither demonize each other. And that's rare. Neither person, like if you go through and read the interactions, none of them, like, it, like eternally, like that person's horrible, everything they do is garbage, right? And we tend to just paint people broadly like that when they when they hurt us, we have a disagreement or some, an aspect of our life doesn't mesh. And they don't do that. They, neither one of them, you know, fault the other person for needing what they need, which is incredibly mature. Maybe you're wondering, like, well, what happened then? I mean, they, they went their separate ways, and, and then what? I mean, did, did it just, was it over? Like, did none of these people have relationship again with each other? Like, was, was Paul right? Did, like, John Mark just sort of flame out and become, like, an unreliable person that never did anything with his life? Like, what happened? And what actually happened in this story, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you go ahead and do that this afternoon. I'm sure you don't have anything going. Um, I, you know what? I'll just give you the cliff notes. Um, what happens is um, John Mark goes with Barnabas, and Barnabas sort of mentors him. He is that person that believes in him and gives him a second chance, and he has the emotional wherewithal and the lack of baggage in that moment in his life to be able to do that for him. And he does. And then at a certain point, he passes John Mark off to Peter, who's one of the disciples of Jesus, leaders in the early church. And Peter mentors him, and they preach and teach and travel a little bit together. And then Mark, towards the end of his life, writes the book of Mark, which ends up being really famous. It was a bestseller. And we actually, we read a piece of it earlier, right? We read that piece that has the Jesus quote of like, love your neighbor as yourself. Something Mark writes down with his own hand, quoting Jesus, a conversation he likely overheard at some point. And he writes down a line that impacted him directly. And it stung in the moment, but it helped him in the long run. And in fact, what happens in this story is that Paul drawing this boundary in his life, it, it doesn't ruin him. It doesn't ruin Barnabas's life or John Mark's life. And in fact, it doesn't even ruin the relationship between these people. They make a decision because it's the best thing for all of them at that moment. And they move forward in a mature way for it. And in fact, this really cool thing happens that is not guaranteed to happen in every story, but I love that it happens in this story. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who's another kid that he mentors Later on in his life, this is years later, and he writes this, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me. And of course, if you were 
Paul's therapist, which you're not and I'm not either, but like I would just be like, seems like a lot of people desert you. What's the common denominator here, right? Is there anything maybe in you that's driving this behavior? But that's a totally different sermon that we go into a different time. But he says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia to meet with Cruella. And only Luke is with me. Then listen to this. Listen to what he says right here. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What a a different story, a different interaction between these two people. And maybe you're thinking like, so did Paul just get to a place where he's like, you know, whatever, I'm just going to ignore all my boundaries. I don't, I don't think that's what happened here. I think over time in adhering to Paul's boundaries, John Mark began to earn Paul's trust from a distance. And Paul gets to a place where he's like, I can see you growing and maturing and respecting what I've put in place around me from a distance. And it gives me the courage to believe by observing your behavior that I can now maybe trust you a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And that trust was reborn and rebuilt between the two of them. And they did it with all their cards on the table, knowing exactly who they were and what they needed and what steps they needed to take. Because people change. And when people change, sometimes boundaries need to change. And that's okay. Sometimes the other person changes. Sometimes you change. Sometimes both things happen. Sometimes you get to a place where you're like, I need to tighten this boundary. Sometimes you're like, I, need to, I can loosen it up because it's not as necessary as it used to be. Both things are okay, but the key is clear communication. But I will tell you, relationships are work because the reality of this whole that this whole series points to is the truth that we don't find great relationships as much as we foster them and this is what destroys a lot of relationships whether you're talking about romance or family or friendships is that we have this fantasy in our minds that we're going to stumble on to like the perfect friend that just gets us and we click and we have chemistry and everything's just perfect or whatever and we never have to work on our relationship together but that isn't real what's real is relationships that work well long term is when there's a little bit of connection a little bit of chemistry and then we invest We clearly communicate and respect each other's boundaries and we allow each other to grow forward in a mutually respectful way. And I think that's what happens here. I think your life would be so much better if you did this too. And so here's a challenge I wanna give you, just something to do with your families, maybe at lunch today or brunch or while you're walking around eating all your kids' candy as you're trick-or-treating later, however you wanna do this. But in order to create some, uh, you know, normalcy around having and upholding boundaries, here's what I want you to share. I want you to tell your family one quirky thing that you need to do regularly to keep yourself emotionally healthy. And I say quirky because everybody's quirky. My daughter came home from school when in kindergarten was like, this girl called me weird. And I was like, you are weird. Everyone's weird. Just what's your brand of weird? And she was like, yeah, everyone is weird. Like, what quirky things do you need to do to keep yourself emotionally healthy? Some of us, we don't even know how to create this thing or voice these things because we didn't grow up in a home where, like, people talked about this kind of stuff. And you can change the future story of your family by having an open dialogue about these ideas. 
of like, you know what? This is why mom gets up early and spends time journaling and in prayer so I can set the stage for the day because I don't like who I am and how I respond to people when I don't do that thing. I need that in my life. This is why I get up after dinner and I go for a walk. It's, so, it's to prevent murder because I, listen, I am at my wit's end. I need that time. Right? This is why I do this or this or whatever. And then people are just like, oh, you're a human. You're a person. And you have to self-regulate and figure out how to put things into place so that you can like have a good relationship with the people around you. And it gives them permission to do the same thing as they grow and age and evolve. And I think God wants that for you. And you have the ability to pay something forward that is better than what was handed to you. And that's why I want to pray into your life today. Because I believe it's possible, but not without God. Would you bow your heads across this room this morning? Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy in our lives. Thank you for the way that you help us to live healthily, intentionally, as we move forward in life. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be aware and honest about what we want, need, and expect, that you'd help us to negotiate well where we can and to be firm where we need to be. And God, I pray that you would, um, as we uphold our boundaries to honor you, that you'd help us to embrace the love that you have for us. Help us to love ourselves the way you love us. And may that transform us and empower us to love other people well in return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.